truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Happy Monday. Thanks for tuning in here today, live and on demand here on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd Erz and Aaron McIntyre here with me as well. If you'd like to join us, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. You can like us on Facebook, which doesn't like us, so you need to keep liking us there over and over again. Apparently, you can follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show or just email the program steve at stevedace.com. Last name is D-E-A-C-E. Hope all the dads out there had an excellent Father's Day. I try to as much as I can on holidays and especially on Sundays so stay away uh, from uh, the decline and fall of Western civilization as much as I can. But um, our uh, one of our uh, mucky mucks here, Gaston Mooney, our co-president here at uh, The Blaze, uh, sent me an email last night. I think you guys might have gotten a copy of this as well. Yeah. Uh, prominent lefty blog has uh, some suggestions on how to practice further censorship. I'm sorry, um, uh, 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 regulation. Prudent regulation on social media platforms. Did you guys read this? Yeah. I'm sure their suggestions uh, are, are kindly, right? And and they want to move from a process-based platform where there are defined rules, things you go in knowing terms of service you can and cannot say, right, uh, to a principles-based process where now you turn your entity directly into one of activism. If someone uses your platform to advocate principles you don't believe in, then uh, you get rid of them. This is going on more and more. And and there are limited ways that many of us can fight back. A lot of you are reading uh, or watching us or listening to us, and you're like, I, I can't send a, a massive donation check to the organization of my choice to push back against this. But do you have a mobile phone? Because most people nowadays in America, you almost have to have one, right? And if you're wondering, what's the major difference with all of the mobile phone companies out there? It, it isn't the network. They almost all have the same network. They're merging now. They're even running in their ads. We have the same network as the other guys. They have the same network as us. It's really what they do with your money once you spend it with them. And that's where Patriot Mobile comes in. Every month, um, instead of giving money to major carriers that will then use that money against you, I give it to Patriot Mobile. It is the only mobile phone company who does the opposite. Uh, they believe in the same America you do, and that's why thousands of Blaze listeners and viewers have already made the switch, and for a limited time, it got even easier. Right now, you can get a free month of service on all new lines with the offer code BLAZE. That's right, a free month of service on all new lines with the offer code BLAZE with unlimited talk and texting plans starting as low as 25 bucks a month. There's never been a better time to make the switch. More than $2 million has been raised since the company's founding four values and principles you believe in. Imagine what we could do if even more of us joined that fight. Get a free month of service on your new line with the offer code BLAZE when you go to the website, patriotmobile.com. That's patriotmobile.com. Offer code BLAZE. We've got a packed show today. Our good friend Bob Vanderplatz will join us coming up at the bottom of the hour. We will continue our, our new book study that we started last week, looking back now more than a quarter century ago on what was, what has, I think, uh, the book that was the vanguard of the modern uh, conservative movement, conservative media as we have come to know it today. But first, before we get to all of those zany hijinks, we must begin with Aaron letting us know what happened while we were away. 
What happened while we were away brought to you by priorities. Those illegal aliens we told you about recently from Ebola-stricken areas of Africa have now been dispersed to over a dozen cities in the United States. According to the Washington Examiner, Border Patrol did not place the over 300 people under the custody of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Instead, and according to a San Antonio, Texas-based CBS reporter, the Angolan and Congolese groups will be heading to cities from Portland, Maine to Orlando, Florida, Florida, to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, to Denver, Colorado. This comes after news that Immigration and Customs Enforcement have quarantined nearly 5,000 aliens who were potentially exposed to all in for Senator Danes as he proposes an amendment for a strong ban on burning the American flag. A no-brainer. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says that Iran is to blame for yet another attack on oil tankers in the Strait of Hormuz. He says the administration is not taking military action off the table against Iran. Even Representative Adam Schiff said yesterday. There's no question that Iran is behind the attacks. I think the evidence is very strong and compelling. In fact, I think this was a class A screw up by Iran uh, to insert a mine on the ship. It didn't detonate. They had to go back and retrieve it. I can imagine there are some uh, Iranian heads rolling uh, for that uh, botched operation. Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced late last week that she's leaving the White House to return home to Arkansas. She's hinted about a future run for governor in that state. Impeachment update brought to you by Nancy Pelosi. I don't think there's anything more divisive we can do than to impeach a president of the United States. And so you have to handle it with great care. Teen Vogue, teen Teen Vogue says, yes, sex work is real work. Pete Buttigieg, ladies and gentlemen. I would imagine we've probably had excellent presidents who were gay. We just didn't know which ones. You believe that we've had a gay commander-in-chief? I mean, statistically, it's almost certain. And have, like, in your reading of history, like, do you believe you know who they were? My gaydar doesn't even work that well in the present, let alone uh, retroactively. O.J. Simpson joined Twitter. Hey, Twitter world, this is yours truly. Now, coming soon to Twitter, you'll get the... Read all my thoughts and opinions on just about everything. How neat is that? That's pretty neat. Progressivism is cancer update and a reminder that it's cancer at the local level, too. Here's Denver City Council member Candy DeBaca. Well, I guess we'll just address the elephant in the room. I, I don't believe that our current economic system actually works. Um, capitalism by design is extractive. And in order to generate profit in a capitalist system, something has to be exploited. That's land, labor, or resources. And I think that we're in late phase capitalism and we know it doesn't work and we've got to move into something new. And I believe in community ownership of land, labor, resources, and distribution of those resources. And so whatever that morphs into, I think is what will serve community the best. And I'm excited to usher it in by any means necessary. headline trans poet josh charles quote rearranges the alphabet to survive its ferocity against her body end quote and now the story of kyle kashuv kyle gained notoriety in the aftermath of last year's deadly parkland florida school shooting as being the rare school shooting survivor turned second amendment activist just last month comments were uncovered that were made by kashuv on the xbox live gaming platform in which he repeatedly uses the n-word Kashuv took full responsibility for the comments, apologized, and asked for forgiveness. Kashuv, who had already been accepted to Harvard, revealed this morning that after a campaign to have his admission revoked, Harvard did exactly that. Another life altered by the outrage mob. Yes, those comments were stupid, but he's a teenager.
And finally, a video from February resurfaced this weekend showing U.S. Open champion Gary Woodland at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, where he played the 16th hole with a girl named Amy Bockerstedt. And this is what happened. That's him. That's him. Yeah. <laughs> What's he doing? How are you? Are you Amy? Yes. Give me a hug. I'm Gary. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I hear you're a good golfer. Yes. You want to hit a shot? Yes. You do? Yes. All right, let's do it. Got this, kiddo. Yeah, I got this. Nice. They love me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. You like all these people? Yeah. <laughs> you want to hit it out? Yeah. You do? Yes, I do. Let's do it. I got this. I love it. You can do this. And that's what happened while we were away. Uh, by the way, she did have this. Yeah. She got up and down. Uh, she one put it on the green. I just love that. Yeah. I got this. Yep. Yeah. I want to do this. Everything was, yeah. Yep. I'm a good golfer. <laughs> yeah. Great, great job by Fox Sports having yep. that video. And uh, that was taken several months ago at the Western Open, I think, or Phoenix Open. The Phoenix Open, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, not knowing, you know, that, that the 25th ranked player in the world who's in that Make a Wish video is then going to turn around and, and win the U.S. Open at one of the historic golf courses in the country just a few months later. So uh, that's a, a tremendous story. Uh, Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends at Ridge's Own who know it would be weird if you kept a stoplight at your dinner table telling you when it was time to stop eating. Uh, that's, that's why your creator, Nature, gave you one. Uh, it's a long name. Its abbreviation is called OEA. Sends a signal from the gut up to the brain to say, hey, we're done eating here. We're good to go. Shut her down. Get that metabolism going. Get active. Enjoy the rest of your time. Unfortunately, for too many of us, that signal just ain't uh, working the way it's supposed to, or it ain't what it used to be. And that's where Riduzone comes in. Not a bunch of chemicals. There's only three ingredients. Not a stimulant. Not loaded with caffeine. All this wants to do is put the OEA, that is its overwhelmingly main ingredient. All it wants to do is put the OEA back in your body to help kick that metabolism in the way that it is supposed to. This could be the missing link for your losing battle of the bulge. So if you want to give this a shot, use my name, Steve, as a promo code when you go to the website, riduzone.com, and they will give you a special offer. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E is how you spell it. Riduzone.com, promo code Steve for that special offer. Riduzone.com. Um, we're going to talk about Sarah Sanders leaving the White House and her legacy today in the overtime. Uh, so if you're a subscriber to Blaze TV, you'll be getting that later today. If you want to be a subscriber so you don't miss that or anything else that gets done here at Blaze TV every day, uh, blazetv.com slash dace is how you get there and use my name as a promo code to get uh, a reduced rate subscription to Blaze TV. blazetv.com slash dace. All right, let's get to uh, the rest of, uh, of of what's in Aaron's montage today. Uh the, the situation with Kyle Kashuv, and this is something that has gone on uh, in the, where we've seen leftists go after athletes, you know, with Dante DiVincenzo at Villanova, when he's the most outstanding player of the, uh, of the Final Four, uh, who was the all-star reliever for your Milwaukee Brewers last year. Josh Hader. Yeah, they, they have done this with numerous people now. And here's, here's what you need to understand. Kyle Kashuv did not have his admittance to Harvard rescinded because he was a moron teenager that made some terribly incendiary comments on an Xbox forum. Yeah, I, I would venture to guess right now over there um, at Harvard, 
there are numerous young people who have made beyond uh, trashy, uh, incendiary, nasty, problematic comments. I mean, the, uh, in, in such forms the, the when go- they were teenagers. The, the, this is depicted by the God of Thunder in uh, Endgame as well. He does yes. the exact same thing. Yeah. I, now, 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 I would like to say, as a parent, with a child the exact same age as Kyle Kashuv. I would, I would like us to be in a culture where a school of such great esteem such as Harvard has decided that it doesn't want that element on its campus because it's an elite school. It, wants to, it looks to take the best of the best. And, if, you know, he wasn't a key, he's a kid, but he's not a child. Does that make sense? Yep. I mean, he's 15, 16 years old, old making these comments. Yeah. You're old enough. I, I don't know. I mean, I grew up with a racist. My, my union Democrat abusive stepdad was a racist. I heard the N-bomb constantly. I, I, can't, I can't stand listening to it. it, it it's second on my list. Now, it's way down the list because, you know, uh, the Lord's name in vain, obviously, for, you know, people aren't God. But um, that's my number one speech code. You work for me. You work around me. You come on this show. I don't want you. You don't come on here and take the Lord's name in vain in my presence. Period. Just doesn't happen. I don't put up with it. I don't let pagans do it in my presence. I will speak up and say, "Hey, uh, yeah, pick another word. You know, uh, start taking Muhammad's name in vain. Don't do that around me." Um, the 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 end bomb racial bombs would be second on that list, and I would like us to be in a culture where a school like Harvard says. In some context, things like it's 2019, we should be beyond this, are true, right? Now, this is often used as, well, it's 2019, so we should forget all of the truths of what's moral that we learned uh, 4,000 years ago and undo them, and it would be progressive if we did these new things instead and then gave them a whole month to celebrate it, right? That, that's normally the context of, well, it's 2018, it's 2019. Yep. That's normally the context of what that means. But there is some correct context to it. There, there just simply isn't in any in any context, unless you're quoting your favorite rap album, I don't. I don't know in what context somebody who's white would use that language in any kind of a casual setting in the year 2019. I, I just don't find it acceptable. Period. And I would. I would like us to be a culture where a, a school as esteemed as Harvard, even if it was a liberal school. But there are some things we ought to all agree with. And I would hope all of you listening to me right now or watching me right now, if someone in your presence was speaking such a way, you'd step in. If a young person was speaking, you'd say, uh, no, kid, no. We don't do that. I had to speak in. I was, you know, I was volunteering for my church, hosting a dodgeball game last week. And one of the young men pushed a young girl down. And I had to step in and say, uh, no, dude, we don't do that. Like ever. Don't do that. Why did I do that? Because I'm the adult and he's not. And that's my job. So I would hope we would say to young people if we saw these sorts of things, not acceptable. You don't know what the historical context of that is. You have no idea what it is you're talking about. Don't spew such venom into the atmosphere. I'd like us to be a culture where despite political differences, and we're always going to have political differences, folks, we're human beings. But there were, there, that we would understand there's never a proper context for those statements. I'd like, us to, I'd like that to be the reason why this happened. Wouldn't you? Yeah, very much so. I'm also 10,000% confident it has nothing to do with why this happened. 
This isn't about the adults in the room got together and say, we can't have a young man on our campus who just two years ago thought this was cool representing our school. This has nothing to do with that. Go, it, it, it's about the picture in Aaron's montage. That's what this is about. It's about the fact he's at a podium that says NRA. And that's what they can't have on campus. So once more, we can't have nice things. Once more, we can't just sit back and say there are some things, regardless of who is in office. And you know what? You know, there's a penalty for those things. If you do stupid things when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, that can deny you opportunities as an adult, right? Try, get, try, try getting admitted to law school with a drunk driving conviction at 16 years old. You know what I'm saying? Not, probably not going to happen. You know? So, you know, those are the consequences. And to his credit, he owned up to what he did. I would like this to be we as a society have just determined, regardless of who's in office, regardless of what is trending on cable news or social media, regardless of what spleens we're opening with each other today, this simply is outside the rules of engagement. When somebody goes there, we stop what we're doing and we say, no, not acceptable. And then we resume firing on each other after we clean up the mess. I, I'd like that to be, when you like that, mm -hmm. I'm 100% confident, 10,000% confident. That has nothing to do with this though, aren't you? Yes. This is all about him standing at a podium that has the NRA logo on it, there, period. There have been theses written by Harvard students with things every bit as grotesque as this that have gotten A's. There have been professors that have gotten tenure who teach things that are every bit as grotesque. So of course that's true. Why did they accept him in the first place then? I have no idea, presumably because he's a really good student. And then they only found out about this later on. I mean, if he, if, 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 if he made all those same st statements in an Xbox forum just a couple of years ago, and um, his name was, um, he was, he was Kyle Hogg instead it, of Kyle Kashuk. Yeah, or he was, uh, that logo at that podium is a pride event. Yeah. Would, would this be a story today? No, no, that's my point. And so that's why we can't have nice things. That's why for those of you that are still that that are wondering where are my standards, they've been abandoned, and and, and the world you used to live in, where conservatives say well, we hold ourselves to a standard because you know we have the moral high ground, that works until you get into a civil war, hot or cold, and then one side decides. If you're wearing the wrong jersey, it doesn't matter what standard you have. That's the only standard we go by, and you're out and ruined. And that's where we are right now. And so the Kyle Kashuv story should be, he's not a victim. He's, was, he was a kid, but not a child. This was only within the last couple of years he made these statements. The context of talking this way is like never good, ever, period. But we're not going to have that conversation. We're not going to get. We're not. We're not going to be permitted to be adults. We're not going to be permitted to have a, an absolute standard that has to be applied. And the reason why is because Kyle Kashuv's real sin is not saying racist things as a teenager, but saying racist things as a teenager while then later appearing uh, on a podium for the NRA. That's the real sin here, Todd. Yeah, and and and. That is all true, and, and despite everything I just said about uh, the uneven standard, I, I'm, I'm actually, I might be in the minority based on what's on Twitter, but I'm actually just fine with Harvard uh, it, deciding to go another way on this. And I, because of the age thing you're talking about, listen, we, we are, 
there is no just kids being kids anymore in this culture. Uh, you know, I, I have four daughters, but even on the matter, they, there's, there's this TikTok app where you can make, you know, little lip syncing things. It used to be called Musical.ly. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, they, they just wanted to do that. But I said, you know, if you're going to be a part of it, you can't link to... Mm-hmm. You can't spam this out. Not that they wanted to, but I said this is just for you and your eyes only because you you absolutely have no idea how you can and will be manipulated by malevolent forces out there. You need to talk about controlling a likeness, controlling a brand, your brand as a child of God. And in any age, there's no time off. There is zero time off. And uh, Kyle is learning something the hard way. Listen, I've learned, Steve's learned Aaron's learned lessons like this to some extent the hard way. We all do. There's now he, because he's at a school where kids got shot, he's more public than ever. But listen, this is actually a, a healthy reminder both for the, him and the rest of his life, and he'll be fine. He will be just fine. Let's not please not turn him into a victim. And we need to be reminded of this. Uh, this is not a game. This, this is real life. There's a lot of things at stake, and we need to be better at every single turn. If you're letting your daughters uh, or anybody you know um, read Teen Vogue, right. you're a terrible human being. Yeah, that's not just kids being kids. You don't get yeah. over that. Yeah, you're just, I, 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 and I don't know that I need any other, any other analysis, any other commentary. You're just the worst, except for the guy we're going to talk about next. I, I don't know much about Laura Loomer. Uh, the only two things I know about her are a column or some comments she made once that somebody sent me that Christianity has no chance up against Islamofascism and progressive fascism. And she once tried to prove that, uh, that we should build Trump's wall by showing how easy it was to scale the walls that celebrities have in front of their homes, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know anything else about her. I, Is she I, also the girl that handcuffed herself to like a front door? That's Twitter. the other thing. Yeah. yeah. I okay. think it was that, Twitter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that yeah. was the other thing. After she was banned, okay? Right. Um, I... Tell me what she has done. If, if O.J. Simpson, and, and we can throw, let's, let's go ahead and just get, get all the jokes out there in poor taste now, okay? He's taking a stab at Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to kill it here. Right, okay. Let's, let, let's go ahead and move on from all of those now, all right? If, if O.J. Simpson... Has a, has a platform on Twitter. What the hell's a Laura Loomer done? You guys know what I think of Alex Jones. Total, complete fraud and a fiend. But other than, you know, uh, telling the political version of bedtime stories, what the hell has he done in comparison to O.J. Simpson? We're all sitting here as conservatives wondering, how are we going to navigate Social media censorship. We all went up. We it, basically the entire conservative movement, the White House went all in for our contemporary here at the Blaze, Stephen Crowder, last week. And then here comes OJ. Like Nicholson in The Shining. I, yeah, here's Johnny. Yes. Danny. Danny Boy. We're trying to escape the social media uh, censors in the maze outside the Overlook yes. Hotel. Danny. Meanwhile, Jack Torrance just comes strolling in with an axe with blood on it. Hey, guys, check out my cool video. (laughs) I mean, this is just the craziness of this. But what do you expect when 
last Friday, we had this video of a mentally ill man looking beyond ridiculous trying to be a woman. Just beyond ridiculous. Sometimes you should laugh at people because they deserve it. They might get their attention. My son came downstairs today with his new flip-flops and he went to a, a party, a birthday party at Sky Zone with his buddies over the weekend and they got orange socks. And he came downstairs today and he's like wearing these orange socks with these flip-flop sandals. Hey dad, what do you think? I think you look ridiculous. That's what I think. Absolutely ridiculous. We have a new student barbecue today at Des Moines Christian I have to take you to and you're not wearing that. Because I'm not taking phone calls, even from the principal at a Christian school. Yeah, your kid got his ass kicked for wearing orange socks with flip-flops at school. Because you'll deserve it! Because you've got, you literally just said, you know what, I'm the one you're after. It's me. It's all me. Sometimes it's okay to mock. To get people's attention. You look absolutely ridiculous sitting there with the thickest Adam's apple on the planet, pretending to be a chick. So either go get counseling or stop it, please. And he's sitting there with the head of YouTube kvetching about uh, borderline content. Meanwhile, pulling up in the fast lane in a white Bronco. Uh, Here comes OJ. I got this. What's up, guys? (laughs) I mean, this is insanity. It's absolute insanity. What in the world is Alex Jones and Laura Loomer and Gavin McInnes? I never even met Gavin McInnes when he worked here. I don't know that we... Did we ever even speak, guys? Did I ever meet him? No, talk? I don't, I don't know. know anything about him. I've never even heard of the Proud Boys. Let's assume everything all their detractors are saying. Let's just, for the sake of this conversation, say it's all true, okay? What in the world did they, how does that measure up with with what O.J. Simpson has done? Did I read that Bill Cosby was tweeting out Father's Day messages? Yep. He's still America's dad. Hey, hey, hey. So a serial rapist and America's most notorious got away with it murderer, maybe ever. Ain't no thing for them to be on your social media platform. But that Laura Loomer, she's got to go. How do you possibly explain this, Todd? The grandest trolling experiment in all of human history. That's how. But the, this is like at some level, you know. We it's you go to Kyle. We just got done talking about uh, it. It's important to hold them to their own standard. That's absolutely true. Uh, but if we if we are addicted to this to the point that we are perpetual victims, then this is every bit as much about. Us, we've talked about this on the show before. Like, what our need the, the conservative smart circles need, it seems, on on social media to just genuflect to one another instead of actually uh, and and be as harsh on certain strains of conservatism than they would ever be on Twitter. I mean, this is 
this is a psychosis that's going on right now that in, we can't we, this is why we aren't a movement because of the things we, we end up uh, uh, obsessing out and yeah. never ever course correct you're, you're absolutely right Steve the premise is so simple you're left here continually trying to find words and you're pretty good at finding words about how to break through this level of dumb and we're in Mark Twain land you can't you can't beat them because you know they beat you with experience on this it is so impossibly stupid there really aren't any more words left unless yeah. we and finally we are in a world where we might actually have some alternatives Aaron diagnosed them uh, last week uh, uh, Jordan Peterson but it's it's time for something else. Yeah, I mean, but a prime example of that over the weekend. Um, so, you know, the border crisis is still going on. Oh, the um, flag burning. You know, the military uh, action may be on the table with Iran. Uh, and the conservative smart set spent uh, most of the weekend saying, well, actually, flag burning, um, that type of thing. That's what Dodd is talking about. That's why we don't have a movement, because we got to get our, well, actuallys in and our virtue signaling in as many opportunities mm-hmm. as we can. What he said. Yeah. Yeah, Matt, that, yes, exactly what he said. We'll come back. Our good friend Bob Vanderplatt's going to join us here in just a moment. Live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. If you're dipping your toe or going all in in the real estate market, you're looking for an agent that you can trust. And that's why Real Estate Agents I Trust was a company started by Glenn Beck and his associates several years ago. Tired of dealing with real estate agents who talked a good game and then didn't deliver the results as promised when needed the most. And that's why they set up a a nationwide real estate agent referral system that helps you find an agent you can trust who checks all three of these boxes. One, someone who has a proven track record of success in the real estate market. Two, someone who does study the data but understands understands algorithms don't tell the whole story. There's always outliers. For example, you know, in my neighborhood right now, we've got a brand new real estate company coming in trying to compete. So might they price homes a little bit more affordably in order to gain a foothold in the market? I mean, those are the, those are the outliers that you need an agent who doesn't spare the details that he or she looks for. And then third, you're looking for somebody you get along with. I mean, there's, there has to be uh, a, a rapport. This is a very em- emotional, relational process to go through. Sometimes an agent's going to demand things of you at the last minute. Sometimes you're going to do the same for the agent. If that connection's not there, the odds this thing is going to be successful uh, go down even more. So if you're looking for an agent that checks all three of those boxes, you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust, and you're going to find them on the website. Realestateagentsitrust.com is where you need to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Our good friend Bob Vanderplas is here from the Family Leader. Good to see you, Bob. How are you, man? Doing really well. Happy Father's Day to all you guys, except for Aaron. Right, Aaron? That's correct. correct yeah. All right. Yeah. Happy aspiring Father's Day. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, belatedly to you as well. Thank you. So, uh, some news late last week. I've got a column up at the Blaze today about the rainbow flag. And I guess I never really realized this because I didn't count the stripes, but I've got several people telling me that the, the rainbow flag actually only has six Colors? Did you know this? I didn't Is this know, true? I did not know this. And that the rainbow, You're telling me something new. Yeah, I, the rainbow itself has seven. We can kind of get the parallel there, the number of man and then the number of God, and, and people are pointing this out to me. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but that you want to talk about some divine trolling. Yeah. 
that that would be one pro- it would example seem to of, make some sense of, of some providential trolling if true but uh, I got I have a column out uh, for the blaze today uh, they're going after uh, poor Jack who apparently remains the only baker in the state of Colorado <laughs> Uh, and when you and, go there, the, the supply is limited. Yes. I've been to Denver recently. I'm sure you have, right? I have Colorado uh, Springs. Yeah. Very, uh, enlightened, uh, progressive city. I can promise you he is not the only baker. There are a lot of bakers and some of them are bacon. Funny yeah, yeah, things. You, you can, you can get half baked uh, in Colorado <laughs> if you would like. All right. There is, I mean, there's plenty of options for you to get baked or half baked if you prefer. Okay. And, and one of the things I point out in this piece is that, the reason they keep going after this guy uh, is because there's been a conflating between terms like oppression, affirmation, and accommodation. Okay? And there's this notion in our culture today that the opposite of oppression is affirmation. When really, a demand for affirmation is just another form of oppression. I mean, the reason we oppress things Typically, we oppress things for one of two reasons. One's a good reason. We oppress things because um, they are proven to be not good for the a culture or the human condition. And so we say, don't do those things. They're sure. bad. All right. They unleash hell on you and others around you. The other reason we oppress, uh, though, is a bad one. And that is, we want the system to affirm our particular way, even if there isn't necessarily a great moral um, you know, a contest happening, but a but a preference, a tradition. A, we want our way over your way, and so we we oppress you for to affirm what we want over you. Right? Sure. And what's happening here is, you know, prior to Windsor, Obergefell, prior go back to Lawrence v. Texas, where they went after the sodomy laws. Do you know how many people were in prison for committing the act of sodomy? My guess is not very many. It's the the answer is zero. Nobody was so nobody was being oppressed. Nobody was being oppressed. Now, were they being affirmed? They were not being They were affirmed. not being affirmed, but they were also not being oppressed. This is a key distinction here, I believe. Because what's happening is now, now they are being affirmed in, from, a, from a policy standpoint. So they are demanding that you affirm them on a personal nature and a personal level. Let me put this debate in another context. Uh, late last week, Kelly Winslow Jr., former NFL tight end, was found guilty of raping a homeless woman. And one of the things that came out is this guy has real problems and struggles in his trial with sex addiction. And one of the reasons that he was removed from NFL teams is that, um, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. He, he was a chronic masturbator and it made other people in locker rooms uncomfortable. Hmm. Okay. He was a problem uh, in the locker room as a fit. Suppose you went to a cake shop and demanded that they make you a cake celebrating your chronic masturbation and they refused. Would that be a story? It might be a story that you actually asked yes. for that. Yeah. But, but would there, it would not be would a story. Would you be trending on Twitter moments as no. the worst person in America, Todd, right now for not doing a chronic masturbation cake? <laughs> I didn't expect to be asked that question today. Well, these are the questions, unfortunately, nowadays we have to ask one another. Would you? Probably not. What if what if you went to a baker and say and said I fornicated last night with my, you know with the girl I'm dating in high school, and I want the baker to bake me a fornication cake. Hey hey, our two four six eight. Who do we appreciate? Fornicate, fornicate. That's the cake I want. And the baker decided, you know, I'm not going to do that. Would that be a national story? 
I don't think it would be. No, don't think it would be. Again, it would it would be a national story from the standpoint of can you believe somebody actually admitted to this and they wanted a cake bank yes. yeah. for this? Um, what if I uh, cheated on my wife last night? And I think adultery is great. And I demanded that you bake me a cake that says, you know, uh, adulterate is great. And the caker said, I, baker said, I'm, I'm not going to put that on a cake, but thanks. Would that be a national story? It would not be a national story. Are these all things God says are not good ideas? Sure they are. Sure. Okay. So are they all things that if we engage in them or if we, um, uh, if we succumb to them require the mercy of God? Otherwise, we end up getting the judgment of God. Sure. Right? Okay. Why is that any different than, um, I, I want to chop off my kibbles and bits, so bake me a cake. Uh, I, I married somebody of the same gender, so bake me a cake. There isn't a difference except one. Right now, the government is demanding that you affirm this. And that's... This is where, if you, if those of you that fancy yourselves more libertarian-minded or you know, care about issues like this, this is what the issue is. No one is being oppressed for same-sex attraction in America today. I saw a tweet today, Bob, where somebody pointed out moms get a day, dads get a day, but you get an entire month if you look between your legs and don't know what gender you are or you want to have sex with the same person. Yeah. You cannot claim you're being oppressed while every major corporation in this hemisphere or on this planet is, pardon the pun, bending over backwards uh, in order to gain your approval and attention. Okay, you can't do that. So it, it's, it, it defies logic. Like Laura Loomer's got to go off of Twitter, but OJ and Bill Cosby are still here. So this is really about you must affirm me. If, if, where, 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 would, where would the culture war battle on this issue be if they didn't demand affirmation? I would submit there would not be one. There would, not be, a, there would not be a battle. Matter of fact, Steve, you and I talked about this a decade ago. It was never about gay marriage, ever about gay marriage. It was about you need to affirm my sexuality. You need to affirm my identity. Mm -hmm. And I would go a step further, especially with, with the Baker Jack. It's not just about affirmation. It's about you not you should not only just affirm that my gay marriage is a thing, but you should be able to join in the celebration of my gay marriage being a thing. Baking a cake is about a celebration for a marriage. It's not just affirming a marriage. There's a lot of people today, and I think it's sort of why the poll numbers are where the poll numbers are. I don't care who you marry, just leave me alone. The thing that it is, it's not enough to leave you alone. It's you will be forced to care, which you have said before. It's a question I, have, I had asked plenty of times. How would this impact you or your life? Well, now you ask Jack the Baker, it's impacting quite a bit. You ask the school districts, it's impacting quite a, quite a bit. You ask the restrooms, it's impacting quite a bit. I think there's a lot of people that don't understand why this is the case. And who would love to make the accommodation that you just described and don't understand why is this hard? Why, why, why is this difficult? You're free to believe what he, you believe. You're free to live the way you live. And as long as you don't impose on other people's beliefs, I mean, that's the whole pursuit of happiness thing, right? That, there's a lot of people that don't understand this. 
And being here in the state where much of this was launched, you remember the day the Iowa Supreme Court came down with their original opinion. April 3, 2009. You remember the, the people who, who leapt for joy, who, who act like they had literally just received the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, they, they looked like folks in oppressed countries. Where the where you know where they wouldn't let the Bible in like there was all kinds of videos in the eighties, um, the Soviet Union finally started letting you bring Bibles and stuff with you during Perestroika, and Russians would like meet you at airports and kiss kiss the scriptures right mm -hmm. okay, um, you you you've been a, you've been in an oppressive regime and you get you're free from North Korea you come back to America you get off the plane and you kiss the ground that you walked on that was the scene outside of the courthouse. I remember it well. And I think that you have to understand, this is not strictly a social contract. This is not strictly even a philosophical question. It's not even a question really at its fundamental level of base desire and biology and things of that nature. This is a question of identity. This is, there's a reason God says things are sins. The God who created, and I'll just, tell, I'll just quote for you what I wrote in the blaze today. The God who created the clitoris with five, with, with upwards of 10,000 nerve endings that serve no physiology, physiological need that we are aware of still, other than female stimulation. There's about half that many nerve endings in the male penis, about 5,000. They don't serve, you don't, you don't need a nerve ending to tell you when you have to pee. They serve no other purpose either, these nerves, other than stimulation. Why are they there? Because he's going around with a, with a chart. You, you, there's an orgasm salary cap. It's not, that's not it at all. It's because when we give ourselves into certain desires, when we give ourselves over to these things, we alter and deform our identity, our sense of purpose, our sense of self-worth, what the purpose we have on this planet is. We literally unleash hell on ourselves and other people. We, we, we become that dude who looks ridiculous in that video, dressed like a woman, interviewing the head of YouTube about their censorship policies. All right, we are literally, we're, 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 we're walking um, examples of mental illness. This is what we do to ourselves. And we are living this in our culture right now. And the fact that this movement is incapable of saying, hey, we won. Uh, uh, Joe Rogan said this over the weekend. The left believes it won the culture war. And so now it's just going around America shooting survivors. That's, that's who the baker is, this baker in Colorado is. It's not enough to it, it, it's not enough to celebrate your win, but I need you to celebrate it with me. Why would you need that? Why would why would if, if why 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 do you require affirmation from others? Why maybe you require that level of affirmation because you're not somewhere deep down, you know that what you're living is your truth, but it's not the truth because if it was the truth, you'd be perfectly content. And at peace with the way you're living and not feel like you need it validated every 10 minutes. And that's where I think the key is. Uh, were you finding your fulfillment? Because it wasn't in gay marriage. If, if gay marriage gave you the fulfillment that you so desired, it would be over. It would be you believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. Everybody's okay. We're married. You're married. Who cares? But it's not enough. So we keep moving the goalposts. We keep moving the end zone line of saying, this is now where it's going to be. And this will make me fulfilled. 
And if we get a whole month and we get to fly a flag and we get to have everybody recognize us and we get to, but now I need the baker to bake me a cake. I need you to say this to me. I, you can't teach this anymore in the churches. You can't live out that teaching anymore into your social life. That's where it's not just affirmation, but it's celebration. But the fact is, it's still not bringing the fulfillment that you just talked about, the hole in the heart. Somewhere upwards of 80 to 90% of heterosexuals will, get, will attempt to get married at least one time in their life. Uh, in 2016, New York Times did an exhaustive study on this, and they found um, 55% of females, of, of, of gay females, 45% of gay males will ever get married. It was never about marriage. And yet you'll, you would believe, you would believe that like, this is, this is, uh, it's on every television show. Um, it's, it's everywhere you go. You would be led to believe that every person is either gay and or getting this that is gay. And they're not. And it's not because it's because for every one or two of these people that this commitment issue is a major thing for them. The rest of it is about validation. If the rest of it is, as Eric Erickson said, you will be made to care. I'll give you an example. I'm trying to watch the premiere episode of Card Sharks. Remember that show when we were kids? Yeah, that I game do. show. I, I love do. that game uh, yeah. show. So you're bringing it back. All right, premiere episode. White gay male is the is the contestant on the premiere episode. They've got a male and female card flipper. So a male flips the cards, male model flips the cards for the blue color, and the female flips the card because the stage is massive and one person can't cover the stage. All right, Every, the the this gay white male is visibly ogling and making it known, making a spectacle of it. The male model who's flipping the cards. At one point, when he comes to bring him his prize, he literally does this and sinks his claws into him and touches him right there on the stage and gives it a purr. If he were a, a, a white straight male and did that to the female. We'd call that Joe Biden. And, and he'd be getting, I'm serious about this. Yes. It'd by be the way, a hashtag, we would not see it because that episode would have never even made it, it to air. It would be a hashtag me too moment right there. Though. Yes. That's why it wouldn't have made it to air. Because right have now, done that. with Joe Biden, you smelled other women's hair when you, you caressed their shoulders. You did, but that was a hashtag me too. It wasn't a demonstrable, I want you with a purr. I think it comes down to this, that ultimately, if you don't want to see the culture blown up over this issue, then the side that believes they won the argument is going to have to act as if they believe they actually won the argument. Because if you, they did win this argument on one certain level, sure, okay, so then act like it. But if you're, it, you're not acting like winners. You're acting like uh, persecutors. You must validate me. You're you're the lesbian couple that drove how many counties to go to Kim Davis's county just to put her on the spot. You're this is punitive. This is malicious. You know what it really is? It's religious. This is your version of going door to door. And looking for proselytes. That's what you're doing. And if you won't, and, and, and if you won't convert, then you will be persecuted. That's really what's happening here. And that's the only reason why this is even still a de- an issue that's being debated at the moment. And I know this comes back to uh, all the time where I end up is that what a great opportunity for the church. People are looking for fulfillment. They're looking for a way to plug that hole in the heart. They're looking for a sense of true joy and meaning and purpose and true identity. What a great opportunity for the church to be the church. And that's where I think we need to exercise this. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you Thanks guys. Thanks for being with us. All right, we're going to come back with hour number two here. Um, 
and we're going to continue our book study that we started last week, looking back about a quarter century later at what is still to this day one of the best-selling nonfiction books in American publishing history, one of the titular books of the modern conservative movement. Um, what you, those of you that are younger, my age or younger, what this thing called conservative media that you take for granted today, a lot of it really comes from this book right here, uh, Rush Limbaugh's The Way Things Ought to Be. And the chapter that we are going to discuss this week, boy, as I read through that and some of the names and some of the stuff that is in there and now having the benefit of hindsight a quarter century later, well, you just need to stay tuned and find out what we're talking about here when we come back live and on demand on the blaze stay tuned and we're back with hour two live and on demand here on the blaze 888-933-93 is the number to the steve day show like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show, email the program, steve at stevedace.com. Last name is D-E-A-C-E, and if you are listening to us today via Blaze Radio or Podcast, but especially the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review at the podcast platform of your choice, we would appreciate you very much. So many of you have done this for us already. Thank you to each and every one. The more of those we receive, the more people like you we are likely to find, and then the more likely we are to keep getting to do this. For you, the people. Um, one of the reasons we're debating where to go in the future as a people is because we have lost the legacy we came from. And that's why uh, Glenn and some of the VIPs here at The Blaze are leading a cruise next spring. It's called The Cruise Through History. Uh, you're going to get a chance to visit Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, Israel, Athens, uh, Greece, you're going to explore the roots of Western civilization, which gave birth to this little thing here in our neck of the woods we like to call American exceptionalism. And hey, you're going to enjoy some gourmet food. You're going to have, you know, time out by the pool. It's a vacation, but it's also an enriching one. It's a learning experience as well. You can bring your kids and grandkids with you if you would like. Um, if you want to get more information about this, you want to go to the regions of the world that inspired our constitution and this grand experiment that we call America. Get more details on the various packages available so you can start planning now. Uh, go to the website, comesailaway.com. That's comesailaway.com. Venice, Athens, walk where Jesus and the apostles walked. You can do that next spring, uh, courtesy of the blaze at comesailaway.com. Todd and Aaron, you guys' thoughts on the conversation we just had uh, with Bob Vanderplotz about the the continued pestering of the baker in Colorado, the, the, the continued demand of affirming me. Now that I, I see, I have everything I could ever want if I'm same-sex attracted, except one thing, which is what I want more than anything else. And that is complete and total um, validation that what I'm doing is not immoral, is not sinful, but is good. And if God will not grant that to me, you will on his behalf. Am I wrong that that's what's happening here? I, I think the way, at least the way I was thinking about it while this conversation was going on, we, we know what is driving us. At least I, I hope that we do. We, we know that this is being driven by 
hell itself, as is any single sin, any single act of rebellion that anybody does, but especially on this particular issue as well, where we go not only uh, to the point where we are given over to ourselves and we are given over to our desires, we are now going a step further, um, as you just articulated. Uh, that, that is how this particular area and issue is different. We are, we are all sinners. The, the guys who are knocking on Jack Phillips' um, you know, shop bakery are not any more or less sinners than Steve or Todd or myself. That's not what we're talking about here. We are now talking about going a step further. This is being driven by hell itself. So I was thinking about it in terms of when Satan fell, why was it not enough for him to just rebel? Why did he then go the extra step in saying, I will be like the Most High? Why, it, why was that? Because when you reject a foundational, a fundamental, fundamental and foundational are basically the same word, a foundational tenet of creation of who your God is, of who your maker is, of how you were made and how you were created, you replace God with yourself. And we are terrible at being God because we are not perfect. We There's, are crap gods. We are crap. <laughs> yes, we are. And that's, that's, what, that's what you see driving this. This is not, this is not so much... Um, this is, I, I, Steve, I, don't, I really don't think that this is so much I want to be recognized and I want to be affirmed. This is, I'm God, bow the knee. Which is, is, is there any greater affirmation than that? Sure, if, if that's yes. what you want to call it. But, but I, I don't think, think you it put is, a, I think I don't you think put is, a finer point on yeah, what I was trying to say. I don't say, think it is bet. merely affirmation. Yeah. yeah, well, you're absolutely right. That'll preach right there. This is, this is not your standard affirmation. You're right. This is, this is something cosmic, which is why winning in the court of public opinion um, or even in the Supreme Court, isn't contented enough. I have to take this all the way to the end of existence itself, because as Aaron just articulated, this is a cosmic debate. Yeah, Aaron stole all my thunder. Absolutely nailed it. We're looking at a deicide here, and uh, in a nation, the as you were fond of pointing out, the only nation ever founded upon a creed. Which I copied that from Chesterton. Exactly. The, 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 that creed goes uh, uh, fundamentally uh, to uh, the Declaration of Independence, and that says exactly where our rights come from. So, th so that must be turned uh, upside down. It, it, it always goes on a straight line here, uh, this progressive cultism. It's, and it's why it was never about marriage. Uh, it was about using that as a tool uh, to get to God. What, what the progressive room wants is the scene uh, on the stone table and the murdering of Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Hmm. That, that, that is the end game uh, for the white witches of progressivism uh, to, to publicly show what they believe to be the scam of the truth that this nation is, was founded upon and to progress above and beyond that. Well, you guys both said that better than me. I'm kind of questioning my point and purpose right now. Yes, I'm Todd. <laughs> On the other hand, though, you know what? I'm going to take some of my own credit back. You guys had some extra time to think about it that I didn't have. So I'm, okay. a, I'm a victim. I'm a victim that I had to talk and before you guys and so you had more time to think of your points we won't I'm, let I'm you victim. into harvard now i'm a victim thank you <laughs> aren't we all aren't we all 
All right, let's get to our book study brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factor in America. It's estimated there are millions upon millions of people that have just decided they're going to have to live with chronic pain right now. If that's you, relief may be just one click away at relieffactor.com. Here's the two most important things to know about Relief Factor. It's it's designed by physicians, but it's 100% drug-free. What does that tell you? It tells you that individuals who are empowered to prescribe drugs realized all they were doing was treating symptoms here. But there is, uh, there are some natural, providential uh, pushbacks in the body uh, to inflammation that's causing all the that chronic pain. So they wanted to come up with those sorts of natural things that would unleash those natural uh, healing powers in the body. And that's the four key ingredients that make up relief factor. Uh, they offer it for just a dollar a day with a three-week starter kit, twenty bucks. What do you have? What do you have to lose? I'm gonna tell you. I've, I'm I'm a believer. I, I heard people before. I we all we joined together before the you know when I just used to listen to Blaze content or I'd be on other uh, Blaze shows before our, we all, we all came to work here together. I'd hear people talking about this relief factor. I was skeptical too. Um, I, I'm a believer. I'm the latest success story. I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, I'd, I'd strongly urge you to give it a shot for just a dollar a day. Go to the website, relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. All right, let's continue. We started this last week, and we thought we would go back to what has really become the vanguard of what we know as conservative media today and the next stage and phase of the conservative movement. And, and really, as you've heard me say on this show many times before, Regardless of what you think of him now, all of us that have ever gotten a paycheck in conservative media owe Rush Limbaugh a debt of gratitude for our phony baloney jobs because we wouldn't have them without the success that he had. And it was this book, The Way Things Ought to Be, that that uh, at the time, it's a little bit like, you know, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, Boston's debut album. These are still some of the all-time Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, these are still, when you adjust for inflation, some of the greatest selling albums uh, in, in pop music even now in the year 2019. And in terms of nonfiction book sales, the same is true of this book as well. And we thought it'd be fun to go back and relive this vanguard of conservative media, this next, the, the, really the post-Reagan era of conservatism. And, you know, this book was published in 1992. His show debuted in August of 1988. So, I mean, his show wasn't even four years old when this book came out. It was just approaching its fourth anniversary, which shows you a couple of things. A, his prodigious talent. But B, it also shows you a movement that wasn't sure, that was looking for its next champion, its next, uh, its next Lobo, its next main man. Uh with Reagan leaving the national stage and stepping in to that void was from Sacramento, California was one Rush Limbaugh. And this week we're looking at a chapter, something Rush still says to this day and age. My success is not determined by who wins elections. Do you think that's true, Todd? Uh, yeah. Tell me why you think that. Oh, well, it's also why we don't, it be, it's abundantly clear that there's never really been a conservative movement. Uh, he, and he says as much. He's, he, he's pretty honest about that. I had uh, a, a couple 
uh, Eureka's uh, after reading this. Uh, he, he's blatantly honest that he's an entertainer first. Now, you've talked about the importance of making this show entertaining. That's a great prophet Snoop Dogg once said, this show been it. But remember uh, last week when I said that the chapter we talked about, could you could have a version of that in your story. Mm-hmm. You could not have this chapter because, yes, it's entertaining, but you firmly believe you are every bit equal parts part of trying to have uh, a movement. It's why you talk about worldview. Uh, I just, I rush for it was, it's why he started that. I don't even remember the name of it. The separate off branch national conservative yes. forum and talking about how, um, you know, these guys are just trying to make a living. So uh, yeah, I got, uh, I, I paid them. They weren't volunteering. You know, if this is truly a movement, uh, it's, it's not that I want anybody to be, be poor, but it's, it isn't just your job. It, it is something that because people understand the importance of, they sacrifice the American revolution. Uh, that's a movement. I, this thing has really never fundamentally, uh, been a movement. He, he, a, he's an entertainer first, no harm in that. It's not his fault. It's not a sin. And B, he, and then he realized, he realized, and this is still the truth. He did, he underestimated the the hatred of he believed people were generally conser- more conservative than you'd get from the press he had no idea how much they hated it and so all of a sudden he latched onto that but that we've always been reactive movements aren't just reactive movements are aspirational and we continue to just hate the other listen i get I, former press i talk about that all the time but it's not enough so uh it's clear to me that uh rush limbaugh has never been a part of an actual uh, movement. And secondly, here's my biggest Eureka. Listen, this presidency we currently have is, I, I asked last week, I'm not really sure anymore the the sway Rush has currently because I don't listen to him anymore and there's so many more voices. I, I just don't know if people really, if he's like they're still their A number one. But what I think what needs to be said is Donald Trump is the very first Rush Limbaugh presidency. In a, entertainer first showman first i think he's ultimate rush's sub is more substantive fundamentally than trump but i i think we are looking at the it's nobody beforehand he calls him ronaldus magnus ronald reagan is a exceedingly principled man also a good entertainer but this is fundamentally rush limbaugh's presidency the seeds have been planted for a guy like donald trump somebody who's as much uh, a skilled carnival barker as anything else, and to harness on the people's latent frustration, but a frustration that is easily kind of manipulated for their own thing instead of a movement, and here we are. Wow. You came loaded for bear, bro. Yeah. I think that was the, <laughs> that was the assignment, wasn't this, it? So this is what I do to you guys, right? What am I going to say next? Um... <laughs> We don't get to speak first anymore. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, make a note, um, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Before I want to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna simmer on what Todd said for yeah. a second. You have a response to him first? Yeah, I would say my success is not determined by who wins elections. That that's true for Rush Limbaugh. I think because of who he is and what he is and how big he is. Um, I will. So, so I think that is definitely true for him, just because of who he is. Uh, I, I think he. I think he is the exception to the rule. I think for the rest of the industry that he created, that is definitely not true. How? how what? What do you think gets more clicks? 
um, the guy that you voted for uh, is still not using his executive power to secure the border or Barack Obama uh, latest developments on Fast and Furious. Which do you think gets more Hillary clicks? still won't admit Hillary's she lost because she didn't yes. go to Wisconsin. Yeah, which do you think gets more clicks? Yep. So and, it yeah, the, six, and it works the other it way around. It works the too. other way around as well. Yeah. Uh, so I do think that that, for the rest of the industry that Rush Limbaugh created, I, I do not think that that is true. I, I think who wins elections uh, actually has uh, an impact on their success in a business sense. You know something, and this t- Todd kind of Todd kind of diagnosed this kind of in a roundabout way. Through the first few chapters, Rush Limbaugh never really addresses to what end he does things. Does he? I mean, what the end game is. What is your end What's the game? goal? Because we would say the exact same things about what our goal or what our, uh, what our method for the show is. We want to be entertaining. We want to let our uh, conservatism and our Christianity, our theological, shine through that entertainment because it is showbiz, as you say. But the end has always been to what? Uh, make a biblical worldview, a Judeo-Christian worldview mainstream in American culture. Yeah, when that's program directors at trade shows would ask me, yes, what's your show about? That's, yeah, I want to make a biblical that, worldview mainstream in that's America That's always again. been the end game. What's the, the, what's the end game of Rush Limbaugh? And so that's, that's, that's what I think Todd was kind of, uh, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Todd, but that's, I think, what's your, what you were saying in a much more eloquent uh, and kind of fully flushed out way is that what is the end game of this? And that's through last chapter going national and this chapter as well. Um, this is part and parcel to everything that we see in right of center media, right of center activism as well. To what end are we uh, giving our hot takes on the day's issues. To what end are we writing this think piece? To what end are we writing this blog post? To what end? What end are we doing this for? If it is just a self-fulfilling prophecy, it is. If it's just about the Benjamins uh, baby, if it's just about anything other than actually advancing policy, then Todd is absolutely right. There is no conservative movement, and there hasn't been for the last twenty years or so. Point me in the area where what I just said is not true about anything. Uh, right of center, except for, uh, you know, Second Amendment. I, I don't know. We're winning, the, we're winning the, the debate on the life issue, and we're starting to see some legislative accomplishments on that, uh, of, you know, 30 years too late. But this is, this is the fundamental problem that I think we're seeing in this book in the first couple of chapters, and it's borne out in the rest of conservatism or whatever that is, right of center media, conservatism, uh, you know, the conservative movement, whatever the heck that isn't or is. We've seen that borne out. What is the end game of this? And we just, I don't see one more often than not. So that's, a, that's an astute observation, but let me push back on it because I agree with everything you just said. But I also don't know that it's fair to judge the Rush Limbaugh of 1992 by that standard. Bill Clinton wasn't even elected president yet. He was about to be when this book was published. I mean, we were still in the midst of the, the post-Reagan Pax Americana. I think it's difficult to go back to 1992 and sure. say, hey, Rush, why didn't you see that we were going to uh, sue a poor Colorado baker four times because he didn't want to bake a rainbow cake? And Rush would have looked at it and said, what the hell is a rainbow cake? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think we have to, I think we have to understand that this is a snapshot and a portrait in time. And I glommed on to the I'm not an activist thing. I mean, look at my our show, my own show. I didn't originally start this out to promote a biblical worldview. 
it came through on the show because I was in the midst of, you know, no longer being conformed to the thoughts and patterns of this world or being transformed by the renewing of my own mind. But initially, I did this. You'll know this, Todd. I mean, I, I did this for direct, at, direct activism. I was trying to impact elections. I mean, I was literally mobilizing voters with the show. Yeah. That was my, I mean, I wanted to take over the Iowa Republican Party. I, I, and I wasn't, this wasn't a stealth mode. I would right. come on the air and say, this is what I'm doing. I want everybody to know, so you know what my end game is here. I started this out with the purpose of activism. So we had some successes, some failures. And then ultimately, I evolved because of the changing conditions of the culture and realized boilerplate activism, Team R versus Team D, doesn't have any shot up against what we're up against. And so when we made the move to go national, um, I realized that I started going around the country. And I saw this interviewing presidential candidates on the Republican side through numerous cycles. The questions that we were asking in Iowa about the roles of courts and things like that, they weren't getting these questions like anywhere else in America. And it's because there wasn't anybody else doing any kind of local show like what we were doing on that radio station. And then, I, so I realized, you know, one plants and other waters, then God gives the increase. If I go out here and try to do this kind of activism, it, I mean, there's not an audience for this. People don't know that the courts aren't the law of the, I mean, basic things. And so I realized, you know, that I was going to have to start all over again with the whole Vince Lombardi. I've quoted this many times. First day taking over the Green Bay Packers. What's his very first line at his very first practice? Men, this, this is, is a, a football. football. So I, I evolved the show when we went national from direct activism to more evangelistic, more worldview, because there wasn't, the harvest wasn't plenty. So there weren't, the workers weren't few. They weren't, there were, they weren't, there was nobody punching that clock. Nobody. I mean, I got one of the reasons I got hooked up with Salem is because Stu Epperson Jr., the son of the founder and chairman of Salem Radio, called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, um, we're looking for somebody with our company that's doing what Glenn Beck is doing. That's what he told me. Somebody who, because we're seeing what's coming in the future of the culture, where we're going and it's pretty clear that just, you know, we're doing the Republican response on the radio every day to what the liberal media is doing isn't going to work. We got to lay some, we got to do some wall building here to borrow David Barton's expression from Nehemiah. So he's like, we're looking for somebody that does what Glenn Beck is starting to do on his show, where he's kind of in the intersection of, of faith and, and, and culture and politics because, you know, we don't have the foundation. It's cracked. And it looks like you have the, from what you've done with your show and the success you've had in Iowa, we think maybe you could, uh, you could bridge some of that gap. So when I went on, when I went national, it was to, it was, that's when we made the evolution to, to, you know, to where we're at now. If, if you would have told me when I started going full-time news and left sports on June 12, 2006, that I was going to do an on-air Bible study on a, on a national program, I just said there's no way I would get away with something like that or would even think that we could, we could even contemplate it. So I, I do think we have to be careful to judge Rush by the time period this book was written in. Now, I would argue, to answer your question, Todd, I would argue he did make the evolution of activism. You may not have liked the outcome. You may not have liked the the horse that he chose to ride but if you want to know what kind of influence he has i can tell you because i was on the campaign and got a paycheck 
uh, to help strategize for the campaign that went up against Trump and was the only one that had any shot, any shot against him and drew any blood. I can tell you, we had every advantage you could possibly want. We had, we had the complete, almost unanimous support of conservative leaders who were always fractured. We had all the money. We had all the organization. We had everything you could possibly. We had a non. We had a minority candidate, a Hispanic, with a compelling personal biography. His dad escaping Batista. His aunt escaping Castro. I mean, we had we checked every box, man. Except we didn't have Fox, and we didn't have Drudge, and we didn't have Rush, and so we lost. So I can answer you that question right there. See, I think he did make the evolution that you're talking about. I just and I think it, you may not have liked the way it evolved, where it's essentially, it's it's you know Trump today, but he did become he did he did get into direct activism intentionally, or well I don't know I've never met the man so I don't I, I can't answer that because I would say I, I would say that's true but maybe accidentally I mean as Todd said you know uh, Trump and Limbaugh to some degree are two peas in a pod so just by uh, I guess osmo- uh, osmosis yeah, yeah I guess he would probably have gotten into activism the last cycle. And in fact, in this chapter, he admits, while saying he's not an activist, I mean, I started listening to Rush with the House banking scandal, is when he caught my attention as a young college Republican. And he admits in this very chapter, I don't believe in activism, except for when I do. <laughs> and, and he admits that he turned his show at the time into, if you guys don't remember, that is when members of Congress were literally kiting checks out of the, the House bank. And Don, Don Rostankowski was the head of the House Ways and Means Committee or Appropriations Committee, ended up going to prison. And every, I mean, that was the thing that I got hooked on to Rush in 1990, 1991 over that whole scandal. So already in the chapter here, he's hedging his bets about, am I an activist? He says, well, I'm not an activist. And then he gives you an example, except when there's a cause that really catches my eye. And the House banking scandal was that cause. He did, he did go to the end game. The end game just became, you know, I like me some Trump. And so you're all left to debate whether he had valid reasons for liking him or not. But I think he did make the evolution people wanted, just may not have liked the way that that, that evolution ultimately resulted. I just think he went with, he read the tea leaves and uh, went with the horse, just like the horse earlier on when he said, man, these people really really resent being talked down to. They hate this. And he he played that like a fiddle. I think Same thing. I think he would have been fine to go with Ted Cruz this time around if he saw the momentum going that way. He saw the momentum going with Trump. He sensed that in the ether. Uh, and he went with it. Because, once again, I'm an entertainer and I'm a businessman first. And he talked about his ego. He talked about, he clear, to what you said about his motivation, Aaron, he, he wants to be successful. He wants and, and and so he that's why he's on board of this. He could have gone any number of ways with it. He that's why he can be successful. He goes to the well, head chapter. We want to be successful, don't we? Well, we want to be yes, successful. That's not the, that's not the ends. But, but are we okay if we did our best and we're not? Well, yeah, we talked about it a couple because, weeks ago, and you yeah. talked about the importance of doing that because if a lot of people don't finish well, you did a whole show that got a lot of emails and said, basically, thank God you think that way mm-hmm. because you actually realize it, you know, that it's so easy to sell out. I, I, I just think Rush then is Rush now as it relates to this Trump presidency. He's he he was not he was not like from the beginning. He was not on the. Tr- the Trump train from the very beginning. He just watched. No, his, I can tell you that he wasn't because we monitored yeah. all of this so stuff. He saw no, he it, wasn't. He saw it happen, and he he continues to play this thing like an instrument. It's why he's good. Yeah, and that was what you just articulated, Todd. Was what I mean. I, I can 
come up with a few ideas of what his endgame is, of, of what his, 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 what really his aim is in his profession and what it has been for almost 30 years now. I don't want to cast, you know, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I want to give him, you know, the benefit of the doubt of telling us what his motivations truly are. But it does, it, it, it does, it did seem, and it does seem to some degree, um, that his motivation purely is a means to an end. Again, that's a terrible thing to say. So I don't, I don't, I don't want to make it out, um, you know, that the guy who's, as Steve pointed out, responsible for all of our jobs has no more of a motivation than that. But it's certainly uh, it, it's hard to see things the other way around. As far as your point, Steve, about him making the transition to activism, I mean, what is activism? Is it just engaging, getting people to engage? Broadcasting with, yeah. for, for, with a desired specific uh, election for or people policy to engage outcome to a, yeah. in mind. Yeah. Then I, I would say that, yes, he probably did, but only through osmosis, uh, only kind of accidentally, just because of the nature of how much I, I don't he digs Trump that that's basically that's basically all it comes down to you know I think you could argue maybe he hasn't changed at all I mean there's yeah. a line right here in this chapter the show is devoted exclusively to what I think yeah and right now what he thinks is he's a Trump fanboy he might think something else later on yeah and I think this is the difference say between other than you know all the money he has in the bank um, between his show and our show is this sentence he would say he says in his in his book, the show is devoted exclusively to what I think. We would sh- we would say this show is devoted exclusively to what we believe, and that may seem like a subtle difference, but I don't really think that it is, because if it's if it's devoted to what we believe, you have some beliefs that will change, mm-hmm. and then you have, you know, um, metaphysical ones, existential ones that don't that define who you are, and. That would explain why we also, on our show, I've, ha- I've always had a very transient audience. There's a lot more people that have come to me over the years and said, I didn't like you before, I like you now. Or I used to like you before and I don't like you now than have ever said to me, I've listened to you from the very beginning. Why? Because the beliefs don't change. And therefore, that is going to cause us at times to take opinions that you're not going to like and you're going to lose people who used to like you when you do that. There's some names in this chapter that I think point to the future of conservatism. I want to get to that next. Stay tuned. Hey, do you have itchy ears, ear pain, or that plugged up feeling? If that's you, you know what awaits because you've had to do it before probably, right? Except you've been putting it off because you don't you don't have time to do it on a work day and then you don't want to waste your day off doing it or a weekend because you know what it means. I got to go to the doctor's office. I got to wait. I got to do this when they, when they, you know, they clean out the ear. I might need a prescription afterwards and I wait for that. Before you know it, that's a couple of hours and a day off you don't have. What if you could do it all in the comfort and convenience of your own home and without a prescription and get it done just like the pros do? You can now with our friends at WaxRx, which uses a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with that pH condition formula. You're like, hey, that's what the doctor's office does. Yep, and now you can do it yourself. You can try the WaxRx system risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com. That's the website, usewaxrx.com. And when you go to check out, type in promo code uh, radio. 
and they'll give you free shipping as well. So no prescriptions, no waits, no inconveniences. You save time and money on the front end and even more money on the back end. What have you got to lose? Use WaxRx.com, offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Let's continue with our book study, looking back at, at really the book that launched much of what we know today as conservative media and, and where that industry slash movement that it spawned, or Todd believes, lack thereof, where it stands a little more than a quarter century later. And we're looking at uh, chapter three, Rush writes, my success is not determined by who wins elections. And the chapter starts off with one of the uh, integral interviews Rush did early in his radio career when he still had guests. And it was with George Will. And, and Rush is, fa- is, and by his own admission, he is fanboying here. I mean, it, this is beginning to sound like Chris Farley looking at uh, uh, Paul McCartney Remember when you didn't let it be? That was great. Okay. By the way, that movie coming out here in a couple weeks, have you seen the trailer for this yesterday? That looks really cool. Where a guy wakes up in a parallel yeah. dimension and the Beatles never existed? Yeah. I have to see that movie. Yeah, I think look it looks good. great. Okay. Um, credit for coming up with some kind of an original idea. Yeah. All right. Because I saw Men in Black International over the weekend. Oh, no. Yeah. All right. Here's the thing. If you would have asked me in 1991, 1992, when this book was written and was published, would you fanboy over George Will? Hell yeah. Would you have fanboyed over George Will back in those days? Uh, Then, I don't know. I mean, I never, I get the question, but I don't know about George Will, I would have. I loved George Will. Did you? I mean, I read every every column I could. Um, I used to always, when I was, uh, you know, uh, when I had to work the news desk at the Des Moines Register till late at night, I had access to all of the wires and everything else. I'd read every, I'd go into all of his archives, read everything, because we had archives going back to, you know, uh, early 80s. I'd read them all. I was fanboying at that time over, uh, what's Reagan's education secretary, Bill? Bill Bennett? Bill Bennett. I, I, have a, I, have I can't a story. remember his name now, but then yeah, I was a, fanboying I, I, about I have a story about Bill Bennett. I was a Bill Bennett guy. Yeah, we'll get to that here in a minute. But um, I, I would, uh, uh, this week with David Brinkley, I thought was was always my favorite. I was the dude. I was the I was the young Republican. I didn't go to church on Sundays. I got up in the morning. I watched all the Sunday morning shows. And the two that the only two I really cared about is uh, Meet the Press with Tim Russert, who was really good friends with Rush Limbaugh, by the way, in the, in the latter stages of his life, because he was one of the few guys that would uh, make the crap roll down both sides of the hill. Would call some semblance of balls and strikes. He might have been the last real mainstream media journalist left. Might have been Tim Russert when he passed away. And then uh, this week with David Brinkley, because George Will was on that panel with Cokie Roberts, and he'd hand her her breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then uh, and and you know regurgitate it like lions do for their pride, and then feed it to the, the puke to their children. He would do this to Cokie Roberts every Sunday, and I couldn't get enough. Did you know that George Will is an atheist? Yes, I didn't then. Did you know it then? No, we would have never even thought to think of such things back then. And the reason being is twofold. One, the idea that there were these different branches of conservatism and that you could be for limited government and kill all the babies. Did you ever hear stuff like that in 1990? No. In fact, you had Roger and Ann Stone. Yes, that Roger Stone. They used to go, used to show up at the Republican convention every four years and try to get the pro-life planks taken out of the platform and Rush would rip them. Yes, that Roger Stone and his former wife, Anne. 
yeah, they, they and they were oddballs for trying to do that. This idea that you would just not be a Republican and pro-life just it it wasn't even debated. And in if this you era. were, you knew enough to shut up about yes, it. Yeah. At the very least you knew that because it wasn't a debatable right. point. The idea that there wasn't a common Judeo-Christian morality that comes from a providential source worthy of conserving, you that you would you know how we found out George Will was an atheist is because he started attacking schools that wanted to teach intelligent design. And he started attacking Mike Huckabee for saying things about uh, the Supreme Court is not the supreme being. The courts don't make the law. And in George Will's America, they do. There was another contemporary of George Will's in this era and into this era that we, the era that Rush is writing this book and the era we live now. In fact, Will and this gentleman are probably the two most successful conservative columnists ever. When you consider uh, the amount of syndication, columns published, books sold, you know who I'm going next? Can you guess? Is it Bill Sapphire? No. No, that's not a bad guess though. He was yeah. the token conservative for the New York Times for many years. Charles Krauthammer. Yeah. Krauthammer. Also an atheist. Yeah. I didn't know that either until Krauthammer started attacking school districts for teaching intelligent design. Stop and think about if you could go back to 1992 when this book was published and say, does anybody here have a problem with the fact that the two most, in terms of intellectual capacity and, and gravitas, the two most influential voices in this entire movement are atheists, George Will and Charles Krauthammer. Can you guys help me understand how are we going to conserve a republic based on God-given rights when the intellectual heavyweights of our movement don't believe in God? And I'll hang up and listen. I would, I would answer that by saying invite a Muslim, atheist, vegan, pansexual, lizard person to your next conference, but that's just me. Yeah, we would never even thought to ask these questions back then. And this is why, and you might be going there, this is why Will has the reaction he does to Rush about not thinking about the, the grander meaning yes. behind his place because he doesn't believe in the grander yeah, Rush meaning. Rush is like, do you know how much of an impact yeah. you're having on, you know, you're giving people inspiration, purpose, and Will is like, I'm just doing my job. He's an atheist. Inspiration and purpose really are anathema. Ultimately, you take the best outcome you can get. And then if you can't get that outcome, you take the next best one you can get after that. Right. Ayn Rand would be happy. I think. Yes. Probably. I, you know, with the benefit of hindsight as 2020 reading this back and forth blew me away. And it made me think if we could go back, no one, how many people do you think knew this about either one of these individuals at that time? Almost no. You would not. And here's the thing you need to know. We would not have thought to ask. It was just assumed if you were a conservative you were you had a theistic belief system. I mean, when I was sitting at home on Sunday mornings, not going to church, fornicating as much as often as I could, and building a porn collection that even Ron Jeremy blushed at. But I was watching all my favorite Sunday morning Republican shows, and you know, and rooting for Team GOP. I I thought I had a theistic worldview. <laughs> you know, I sung Silent Night at Christmas, like the rest of y'all did. You know, I watched the uh, the uh, the the. Is it was it the Zeffirelli Jesus of Nazareth miniseries from the late seventies, which is great, by the way. I watched that. You know, I I understood the Easter story, right? Like most Americans, I thought Abe Lincoln was like our best president ever, and voted Republican and believed in God. So I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. So we would have never even thought to ask those kinds of questions. But if you want to know, if you're if you're Aaron's generation, you're wondering how come conservatism has 
very limited intellectual capacity or gravitas to go toe-to-toe on a fundamental notion with, with, with progressivism and leftism. Well, it's because two of its all-time leading intellectual voices, probably its two most decorated intellectuals the movement's ever produced other than William F. Buckley, were atheists. That's why. So they had no shot from the very beginning. Once, once, once the commonness of conservatives, once the common themes that conservatism was seeking to conserve, once a solid segment of the culture turned away from those themes and, and, and began to violently oppose them, when I say violently, I don't mean in terms, let me use another word then, how about passionately, okay? In terms of passionately oppose them, we didn't have the wherewithal to stand up. That's why we quote, well, the polls say we're okay because the polls say people still believe marriage between a man and a woman. What happens if the polls say they don't? Well, the polls say people don't want Obamacare. What happens if the polls say that people do? Well, the polls say people want, don't want open borders. What happens if the polls say people do? When it's my passions versus your passions, but your passions are your foundation. They are your belief system. They're not the outpouring of your belief system. They're the embodiment, the, the foundation of it. When, when it's my passions versus your passions, good luck with that. That's where we are right now. This is why we don't have a, this is why we have roll tide evangelicals, as Todd used to say. You're in a movement that even if it hadn't devolved to an industry, when, when it's, well, Moses and Aaron maybe is a little too, let's not go that far. How about when it's Plato and Aristotle, think that's fair? Sure. Are both reject the fundamental things that you are trying to conserve, that's the, reject the source of the fundamental values you're trying to conserve. Once the culture, a segment of the culture turns, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. And that's where we are now. And that's why we have all this audience. We got all these filmmakers. How many Pop Culture Tuesdays have we done the last couple of years, gentlemen, where these movies produced by these leftists in Hollywood are literally regurgitating verbatim a biblical worldview in so many of their themes. Mm -hmm. While they're out there then also trashing the very values that they're putting in their movies and their shows. We have all kinds of audience. We don't have any influence. Well, when, when, when the Plato and Aristotle of your movement were atheists and you're trying to conserve a republic based on God-given rights, sooner or later, when we reject God, as Chesterton pointed out, like 100 years before George Will was born, the government will become the God. And that's where we are right now. You talked about the National Conservative Forum that Rush established here. And this was a chance to essentially do activism apart from the show where he could use the influence the show gave him to not make the show a political target, which I think that's some foresight given where we're at right now where, Hey, I don't care how many listeners rush has companies aren't buying ads just because of politics. Right? So we had some foresight where that was concerned. Okay. And he established this thing called the national conservative forum. And they, they met for the first time in July of 1991. And I, where did I put that chapter? that page where it has the names of the people that were there. There's Mona Sharon, Brett Bozell. No, so let's look at some of those names. Mona Sharon. Who is that? Uh, Still? She's, she's, essentially, she's essentially been 
um, exiled for being a never Trumper. She's a, she's not a Bill Crystal never Trumper. She's more of a Jonah Goldberg, hmm. where she's actually she's not a neocon. You know, the Democrats went too right. left. Um, no, she just views Trump as too immoral to hold the office. Gotcha. Okay, and so she's a never Trumper, and so she's largely been exiled. But she was uh, she was a part of this. Uh, Brent Bozell is still around uh, and still very influential. If you've ever done conservative talk radio, you owe Brett Bozell a residual check because he's his organization's done how much show prep for shows like this over the years, right? So he was still adamant. What were some of the other names in there? Because somehow I lost the chant the the page that I had uh, marked. It, it took oh here it is. Okay, it took place in the district of what B one Bob Dornan didn't Bob it? Dornan B one Bob Dornan. Whenever you've heard me use the phrase, if it ever ends with the phrase with the words, and then you can kill the baby. It's not a pro-life bill. You know who coined that phrase? B1 Bob Dornan did, California congressman. That's his, that's his phrase. He's the one. He used to stand up there in Congress, even in the 80s, and say, this isn't a pro-life bill. If it ends with the phrase, and then you can kill the baby, it's not a pro-life bill. Gary Bauer mm-hmm. um, <laughs> was, was one of the founding <laughs> members laughs. of this. One of the first politician names I ever remember. Remember going to the straw poll. God bless him. Judge Robert Bork, who wrote mm-hmm. Slouching Towards Gomorrah, who basically forecast exactly where we are today. Do you think... Do you think if, if Rush were to start, attempt to start a conservative think tank now, like he did in 1991, do you think it would include people like... Instead, let's, instead of Robert Bork, let's put in Clarence Thomas. Um, instead of Gary Bauer, let's uh, I don't know, let's put in somebody like our buddy Bob Vanderplatz, who was just on with us. Would it include somebody who, even if they were a devoted conservative, were a never Trumper like Mona Charon? Would it include anybody? Would it include archetypes like that? Do you think? I don't know. I'm asking. What do you think? Uh, I th- I think it would include most of them. You do? Okay. I mean, it goes back to that chapter last time about uh, Rush went out to the uh, barbecue joint and just come on, let's all. Get together. I mean, there's he has a place that like he just could not stand John McCain. So maybe he just can't stand Mona Sharon. One of know. his still to this day most laudable uh, characteristics of Rush, if you ask so. me, because uh, everything he ever said about John McCain was exactly correct. Bill Bennett's in here. So I've, I've met Bill Bennett once. I've never met Brett Bozell. I uh, met Gary Bauer a couple of times. Robert Bork passed away before I, you know, got to uh, work in this industry. I've never met Mona Sharon. I've met B- Bill Bennett once. And I met, I met Bill Bennett um, in January of 2016. Uh, Salem Media brought all of its national hosts. So me, um, Hugh Hewitt, Michael Medved, uh, Bill Bennett, was this on stage with McStackis? Is that the same thing? Eric Metaxas. Metaxas. Yep. They put us all on us, and they brought us out to Santa Barbara at a five-star hotel right there in the ocean to uh, get together with uh, all of their regional managers, corporate VIPs, and just talk about our shows and you know those sorts of things. Um, Joe Piscopo was there because he was doing; he's still doing Morning Drive in New York for Salem, and that's where I got to see him do a live reenactment of the uh, Frank Sinatra. <sighs> Man, SNL bit, which I got out my phone and recorded that and sent it to my wife. Okay, um, and the and and so this was a, a three day event, and the last day, you know, Ben Shapiro was out there because he was with Salem at that time, because um, they own Town Hall and all that stuff too. 
the last event was to put uh, the national network people. So me, Metaxas, Hewitt, um, Medved, Prager, um, on a stage together for a forum slash debate, and Bill Bennett was the moderator. Oh. And this was the event that it was announced that Bennett was retiring because he had done the morning show uh, for Salem Radio Network for many years, and it was going to be replaced by Larry Elder. And they're going to switch some time slots around. And this was also to really announce me now as the, as, as, as I was kind of on the peripheries of their network, but now as a full-time member of the network. And um, I was a big, I was a big admirer of Bill Bennett's as well. And he, he totally hazed me. And I totally respected it because I was the rookie and I should expect to get hazed, you know, but um, that whole debate broke down with um, what do we do if Trump won the nomination? And I stood up and I said, you know, Iowa doesn't vote for another month. We can stop Trump. He doesn't have to win the nomination. Particularly have a network the size of Salem. You can stop a guy like Trump from winning probably. If you went all in to, you know, advocate for a better candidate, they looked at me like I was from another planet. They kind of just assumed they had to just sit back and wait to see what happened to him and there was nothing they could do about it. You know? That's a conversation when we have more time. I should, I should... I should tell you guys more about. All right. Before we get out of here, though, uh, BrickHouseSteve.com, promo code Steve. If you want to get their great energy product from dawn until dusk, uh, and it's all natural, not loaded with chemicals, not like the stuff you get in the little bottle when you go to the store, uh, but uh, this is energy, uh, nature, and your creator's way. And if you want to give it a shot, it's uh, done by the outstanding team of physicians at BrickHouse Nutrition. You can get it right now, 15% off. Your first order, if you use my name, Steve, as a promo code, when you go to BrickHouseSteve.com, that's BrickHouseSteve.com. Any final quick thoughts, 20 seconds? Aaron? I think we covered it, man. But yeah. uh, Don't drive in a ditch. I'm glad yeah. we did this, though. This, this is going to be interesting. All right, we're going to stick around and tape the overtime. For those of you that subscribe to Blaze TV, BlazeTV.com slash Dace. If you wish to subscribe, for the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.